Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 24 of Jeremiah chapter 50. We're going to be reading Jeremiah 50 verse 42. They shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea and they shall ride upon horses. Everyone put in array like a man to the battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. Now we have been going uh, through Jeremiah 50 verse by verse for uh, several months and We've seen that God is describing the judgment of this world, typifying it as the kingdom of Babylon. And the army that um, is being discussed in this verse and, and in other verses in this chapter is the army of God. Now, in the previous verse that we looked at in our last study in Jeremiah 50, it says in verse 41, Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. And we saw that this people that comes from the north, which are typified by the Medes and the Persians as that army under King Cyrus that took Babylon and defeated Babylon, and they came from the north, but spiritually, the army that comes from the north is the true believers. As God likens those that came out of Babylon, that were delivered from Babylon, and therefore came from the north, as Babylon is in the north, they came out of the north. He, he likens those people to his elect that were saved and in salvation were translated out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they came out of Babylon uh, just in time before God brought judgment upon Babylon as uh, May 21, 2011 was the beginning of Judgment Day on on all the unsaved inhabitants of the earth. And And so that's the army that's in view. And that's why it also says many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. Those kings are each child of God who spiritually becomes a prophet, priest, and king, according to the Bible. And they are the ones in view in, in the next verse, in Jeremiah 50, verse 42. They shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea, and they shall ride upon horses, everyone put in array, like a man to the battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. Now this verse, it, it, it's really um, uh, shocking uh, when when we understand that spiritually it's referring to the true believers. It, it is shocking. It's out of character. It's unlike um, anything that we find 
elsewhere in the Bible uh, when when we read that true believers, God's elect, are cruel and will not show mercy. That That is completely uh, against uh, so much other information in the Bible that identifies with God and his kingdom and his people. Yet the difference is or or why God can say this of his people in this description of the judgment on Babylon is because it's describing judgment day. Judgment day is not the typical normal um affairs of of life in this world. It is a very different time period than all other time periods before it. Because Judgment Day is a time in which God has ceased to be merciful, in in which he has ended his uh, evangelization program. God has stopped going forth with the gospel into the world to seek and to find his elect. That's all accomplished. It's all finished. It's all done. Judgment Day is the time God turns his attention now to all of the unsaved people of the earth and he comes to visit them for their sin and, and they have no savior. They, they have, um, nowhere to cover or no one to hide their sins. They have nothing to cover their sins. Their sins are upon them, naked and open unto the eyes of of their God, and and so God now is punishing the people of the world for their sins. That's why um, when when uh, the Bible is um, revealing things as it has been in these days after the tribulation, and the Bible is opening up information concerning the wrath of God that we've learned, that the door is shut, that the light of the gospel went out immediately after the tribulation as the sun was darkened and so forth. We've learned, according to Revelation chapter 9, that men will seek death, that is the identification of death in Christ, which comes with salvation and shall not find it, but death will flee from them. We we uh, have learned it is a time of the pouring out of the wrath of God. The Lord is giving the cup of wrath that he first gave to the churches and congregations. He's giving the same identical cup now to the inhabitants of the world. And it's a verse like this um in verse 42 of Jeremiah 50 that relates to that or or when we see uh for instance that this same language is found earlier in Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 6 and I'll turn back there Jeremiah 6 and it says in verse 22 thus saith Jehovah behold a people cometh from the north country and a great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth. They shall lay hold on bow and spear. And the 
Hebrew word translated as spear is the same Hebrew word translated as lance in Jeremiah 50. They shall lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roareth like the sea, and they ride upon horses, set in array as men for war against thee, O daughter of Zion. So this is very similar, very similar to Jeremiah 50, except for a couple of statements, and one of them is that here in Jeremiah 6, the object or the target is the daughter of Zion, and in Jeremiah 50, the object of wrath is the daughter of Babylon. And we we can see, and, and uh, we've seen this several times before, where there are verses that are repeated almost word for word as God used th- the, this statement, first of all, to describe the judgment on the churches. As in Jeremiah 6, the people that come from the north country, that's Babylon. And the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar historically. And Nebuchadnezzar's a tight and figure of Satan. Satan and his forces that come against the churches at the end of time, when judgment began at the house of God. And was uh, historically King Nebuchadnezzar a cruel, fierce king? Yes. And, and he, he was ruthless. He, uh, he slew the king of Judah's sons before him. And then after killing his sons, he put out his eyes. He was a, a very fierce, ruthless king. And, uh, he, he uh, was cruel. And without mercy, and that was the character of the Babylonian army. And and spiritually, of course, we can see how that relates to Satan. Satan, when he came against the churches and congregations at the time of his loosing, and he entered into the church and took his seat as the man of sin, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, showing himself that he is God. And yet at that point, the Holy Spirit departed out of the midst of the church. Satan was there. At that point, the salvation of God abandoned the New Testament churches and congregations. All churches all over the world, in an instant, at the moment that the Holy Spirit departed out, and Satan entered in, there was no more salvation. There was no mercy showed, we could say, through Satan and his emissaries, through those dark spiritual forces that took over the churches of the world. Never again from that point, and that day the Bible Reveals is May 21, 1988. The, the biblical calendar of history um, indicates that was the beginning of the judgment on the church. That was the point of the end of the church age. From that day until now, and, and especially uh, God um, was focused on the 23-year Great Tribulation period until May 21, 2011, but even into 
these days after. There is no salvation in any church in the world that that has occurred. There there was cruelty in that sense spiritually. There was no mercy shown to the inhabitants of the churches which numbered professed Christians in the world and the vast majority of them attend some sort of church. And, and so the church world numbered almost two billion people. And God permitted, uh, when he brought judgment on the church, uh, this cruel judgment of no salvation taking place in, in any church in the world where two billion people attended and were members or or uh, it affected them two billion people about and that included men women and children there was no mercy so so we um certainly see what god is saying in when used in that context of the judgment on the churches uh, yet god still was merciful God still had a plan to evangelize the world outside of the churches. And yet, uh, for his own purposes, he allowed uh, a grievous 2300 evening mornings to take place at the beginning of the judgment on the churches, the beginning of the Great Tribulation. But at the end of those 2300 days, in September of 1994... God once again sent forth his word. Once again, the Holy Spirit was poured out to save a great multitude of people from the nations of the world. As the word of God um, would go forth and find the lost sheep of the house of Israel that were out uh, scattered amongst the nations. And, And that just indicates the great mercy of God the great compassion of God that even in in wrath, wrath on the churches, he remembered mercy. Even in a time of pouring out um, great fury and, and anger upon the churches of the world, God still had a plan to save. But it would not always be the case. There was a time for the latter rain and that time was the second part of the Great Tribulation period. And then it, when the Great Tribulation ended, the latter rain would conclude the great multitude would have been saved. Well, um, let's look at the word cruel used here in Jeremiah 50 and also in Jeremiah 6, verse 23. And we find... Uh, a very closely related word in Proverbs 27. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? So God is giving a proverb, making a statement, and all parts of this proverb are true. Wrath is cruel. Wrath is cruel. That, that that's a fact. It it is um, a cruel thing uh, to be 
under the wrath of God. It, uh, it is not a kind thing. It, it is not a merciful thing. When God begins judging people, he has ended his mercy. He, he is not extending uh, the scepter of grace any longer. He's showing no favor. He's showing no kindness. He is being cruel. Wrath is cruel. In Isaiah chapter 13, which is a chapter that um, goes into detail concerning Judgment Day, and just just as a reminder, verse 1 of Isaiah 13 says, The burden of Babylon which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And within that context of the burden of Babylon, God speaks of punishing the the wicked of the world in the day of judgment. Well, it says in Isaiah 13, verse 6, How ye, for the day of Jehovah is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And uh, here notice in verse 9, The day of Jehovah cometh cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, just as Proverbs 27.4 toldeth, uh, wrath is cruel. And except here in uh, Isaiah 13, it's the same Hebrew word that we find in Jeremiah 50 and Jeremiah 6. God is letting it be known that Judgment Day is a cruel time. There, There's, again, nothing... Um, gracious about it. There is no mercy shown to the objects of God's wrath. And notice also that uh, this day of Jehovah comes and it's cruel with wrath and God ties it in with the darkened celestial lights, the sun, moon, and stars, which we know, according to Matthew 24, verse 29, occurred Immediately after the tribulation, the sun is darkened and the moon does not give its light and so forth. And, and, and that's the time God punishes the world. That's the time of cruelty in, in that sense of removing the light of the gospel as a cruel action performed by God. It, it is, uh, um, an action that is wrathful and and God's people are identified with God in the day of judgment. If God is cruel, if God has no mercy, well, the people of God, as we judge the world with him, 
according to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that. We are judging with him in the sense that he is using his people as an instrument of judgment, as a fan in his hand, or uh, as a threshing instrument, or as an object to break in pieces um, the, the wicked of the world through the salvation of all of us, of all the elect, of everyone whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And since all have been found, now Jacob, the elect, are that instrument of cruelty and wrath because that permitted God to shut the door of heaven, to put out the gospel lights, and so on. All right, well, um, when we read Jeremiah fifty forty two, it says, They shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. They will not show mercy. And we, we, we just have to shake our head and, 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 uh, we stand in wonder. It, it, has it come to this? Has, uh, time passed to the point where the people of God will no longer show mercy? It, we we don't even like to think about it. Uh, we uh, we love uh, the fact that that God is a God of mercy, that God is able to forgive a multitude of sins, that He washes away the the spiritual filthiness of sinners and cleanses them and makes them new, makes them white as snow. We love the the gospel that teaches us that God is able to take the dirtiest rotten vilest sinner and and to cleanse them and to clothe them in pure fine white linen which is the righteousness of saints we love carrying that message of the gospel uh, to others and, and uh, well of course we did because first of all that is a, a characteristic of God himself. God is merciful. And if God is merciful, certainly the people of God would also identify and show forth that attribute of mercy. And it, it's uh, always been this way. Well, first, let, let's look what the Bible says, and we could... Read scripture after scripture along these lines that say similar things in Numbers 14. Numbers 14, it says in verse 18, Jehovah is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Jehovah is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And 
Uh, I'm sure all kinds of Bible verses uh, jump into your mind uh, that are very similar to this, where we we could just go from verse to verse to verse, where God speaks of um, casting their iniquities into the depths of the sea, of putting away their sins as far as the east is from the west, or or we could read as we read in Psalm 136, and um, I'll turn there and read just a few of the verses. The whole psalm is like this, all 26 verses. But in verse 1 of Psalm 136, it says, O give thanks unto Jehovah, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Every verse in in uh, this beautiful psalm indicates God's mercy endureth forever. And and by the way, some people they point to verses like that and they say, "Well, you see, God can't uh, end His salvation program. He can't end His program of mercy." When we say salvation, we're really speaking of the mercy of God because His mercy endures forever. Well, uh, they they're failing to understand what God is saying there. He's talking about those that He saves, His elect people. And he will show kindness and mercy to them forever. We read in uh, Psalm 103, in verse 17, But the mercy of Jehovah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. The mercy of Jehovah extends to everlasting only upon them that fear him and who will fear him only those that God has saved his his elect people and and so the mercy of Jehovah endureth forever upon them it doesn't it doesn't mean that God can't end uh, his sending forth of the gospel of mercy in the church at the time he judges the church and it doesn't mean he can't end the sending forth of the gospel of mercy into the world at the time the judgment transitions from the church to the world. No, it doesn't mean that. that uh, God still will be merciful forever to his elect. Uh, after all, God is going to destroy this world and destroy all the unsafe people of the earth. Uh, certainly nobody would say that that's showing mercy. And, and in any kind of way, of course, the mercy of Jehovah endureth forever uh, is a true statement today, in the day in which God has shut the door of heaven and is no longer actively saving people. But, but for all those he has saved, the whole company of the elect, he will be merciful forever. Well, the, this it is the... Uh, wonderful truth that the Bible teaches us about God. He is a God of great mercy and God's people in identification with Him also uh, begin to be identified as merciful. Uh, for instance, we, we read um, 
I think, a revealing statement in 1 Kings chapter 20. It's when Israel had defeated an enemy. And we read in 1 Kings 20, verse 31, And his servants said unto him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes upon our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure he will save thy life. See, they they had been defeated and and kings from other lands might uh, show no mercy and, and kill them all. But they had heard the kings of Israel were merciful kings. And in this statement uh, is revealed that what the world knows about the people of God as we are once again identified with God, identified with the gospel of the Bible and in which God has much to say about mercy. Uh, he uh, will have mercy. Of course, it's always been that God will have mercy on certain individuals uh, as we read in Romans chapter 9, it says in in verse 15, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And verse 18, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And one more verse in verse 23, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. God will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. Now that tells us that it's always been the case that God in his plan of salvation designed to extend mercy only to those predestinated souls that were chosen from before the foundation of the world and as as God by his own pleasure decided to save Jacob and to love Jacob and not Esau. God, in determining to save Jacob, determined to have mercy on him and not to have mercy on Esau. So that's always been the case throughout history. And and that means when we get to the completion of God's evangelization program, uh, which is basically another way of saying his plan to gather those lost sheep, all the elect, that they hear the gospel and become saved and and have mercy bestowed on them, that uh, that then God has fulfilled his plan of showing forth mercy to whom he would show forth mercy to. And now, once he saved the last of the elect, there is no one else whose name was recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's one of the reasons we find in Revelation 20, the books are open. It's as though search is made of the rolls. Can we can we shut the door? Can we put out the gospel light? 
Can we punish the inhabitants of the earth now? Uh, yes, because no other names are found recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And no other objects of mercy or vessels of mercy, as it's said in Romans 9, are left in order to show mercy upon. And that leaves the rest of the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And that's what Romans 9.22, which I probably should have read first. Let me read it now. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. So, uh, obviously, once the vessels of mercy have had mercy extended, and that only leaves the rest of the vessels, which are vessels or objects of wrath, fitted to destruction. And that's why we're in the day of judgment. That's why God can uh, no longer show mercy. That's why the people of God are said to be cruel and and uh, have no mercy because there is no one else to be a recipient of God's grace and mercy. We could only demonstrate the mercy of God insofar as there were vessels of mercy that that needed the gospel brought to them and and then God would save a vessel of mercy that that was prepared unto that glory but if there's no more vessels of mercy how can we be carriers of the gospel that that would bring mercy now um another verse that identifies um, God's people with God and his characteristic of mercy is found in Luke chapter 6. It says in verse 35, But love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Now, there is an element of mercy uh, that enters into the natural realm. We we should be kind to people, gentle with people, nice to people. We should be considerate of them, praying for them. All the many things the Bible tells and instructs the people of God to do, to love our enemies. And, and we continue to pray. And we continue to desire the best for each person. We we pray what the Bible will permit us to pray, and we uh, we pray, for instance, for individuals that uh, that are outside the church. Oh Lord, having had mercy, have mercy. We may still pray that prayer today. That is, while. It was still the day of salvation while the door of heaven was open. We're, we're uh, beseeching the Lord for an individual. 
could it have been at that time you might have had mercy having had mercy that is could it be that you might have saved this person before you ended your salvation program have mercy we we would um, desire for you to continue to bless this soul and this person with your word and so forth and and so we we desire the best we're still loving our enemy we're still um hoping for the mercy that the bible allows to be hoped for at this time for each person that we encounter and even those that that were in the churches the bible permits us to pray may the cup of wrath that they are presently drinking may may the cup pass from them as the lord jesus prayed that prayer in the garden of gethsemane and and that's a prayer of mercy in a sense we desire the wrath of god to to be ended concluded to to leave them to move from them that they no longer drink such such a a, a horrible cup and just as christ prayed that prayer teaching us yes this this is something that can and is permitted by the bible to be prayed and we also again desire the best for um that people the best that the bible will allow well it's a very hard and difficult time for the child of god we we have a desire for others that they might be blessed as we have enjoyed the the tremendous blessing of God's salvation. We know who we are. We we don't think we're anyone special. We don't think we're anyone uh more deserving or or that we've earned anything that others cannot earn. No, we know that we're just sinners and and we know um, that it, it was through scriptures like this in Luke 18 that uh, that we approached unto God. In Luke 18, verse 13, it says, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how... The child of God came to God. Oh, Lord, uh, I see my sins. I'm guilty. I'm deserving of your wrath. And my only hope is that you are a merciful God. And and so uh, at that time, while he might be found, uh, the, the believer was crying out like blind Bartimaeus, O thou son of David, have mercy. And we were beating our breast as this publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Or we were crying as King David is moved to cry in Psalm 51. In that wonderful psalm, in the first few verses there, it says in Psalm 51, 1, Have mercy upon me, O God according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me 
thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Have mercy upon me, O God. It, it is ingrained in our very being. For the child of God, we, we constantly think of this and, and, uh, in all previous history, there was a merciful God upon the throne of grace and God encouraged mankind to approach that throne as we read in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Approach the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy. And and this is the mindset of the true believer. It's no wonder. It's not surprising at all that some people have have seriously struggled, and some even continue to struggle with the idea of the end of salvation, the end of um, the time period in which God was actively showing mercy, or or mercy was available to to sinners still in their sins, still in an unsaved state. And it is so much a part of the Bible, so much a part of God's very being and character. It's one of his glorious attributes that he's merciful. It is um, so much a part of the child of God who takes on the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ and identifies with them. And we love that attribute. It, it is, uh, of course, the only way we ourselves have uh, experienced the salvation of God is through being an object or a vessel of mercy, of being one that God had mercy upon. And yet now, at this time, the, the day of salvation has ended. The, the time in which, uh, God was to be sought and, and the time that God allotted for men to cry to him for mercy, to seek him while he may be found has come to a close. And God now is a God of fury and anger and wrath. And he's pouring out this wrath, and uh, although we would have to say in a uh, comparatively gentle way, considering how we used to think of the wrath of God as as that angry God that would burn up men in hell forevermore, and and they would suffer and suffer and suffer without end. No, no, in a comparative way, this is a much more gentle judgment. But it is the judgment of God. It is the day of the wrath of God and the day in which he has judgment without mercy. And the people of God cannot show mercy. We would if we could, but but the fact is we cannot. The, the door is shut. Now, I think... Um, 
A parable that best explains this is found in Luke 16 with, uh, with the rich man and Lazarus the beggar. And the rich man has plenty and Lazarus has uh, hardly anything. And, and yet, um, the, well, let, let's read it uh, so we, we get everything correct. In Luke 16, it says, in verse 19, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Now, we, we can understand some things here. The rich man is an unsaved person. Lazarus was a saved person because he, he's carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. Abraham, Father Abraham, is a figure of, of God the Father. And the rich man in hell and and hell is the grave, or a place of the dead. And when God brought judgment on the world, which began on May 21, 2011, for all intents and purposes, he killed all the unsaved people of the earth at that point, because he ended the possibility of salvation for them. And now it's just a matter of time for this prolonged period of Judgment Day to work out until uh, the end result will be their death, their final destruction and annihilation. But it's guaranteed, and that's why Revelation 22 says, the righteous will be righteous still, and the filthy will be filthy still. Everyone's eternal condition is fixed and established and will not change, and and therefore the world has entered into death, which is hell. It's, it's, it's not hell as previously understood or thought, but it is hell in the sense that the world is, uh, again, uh, brought into the condition of death. It's a condition. It's, it's not, uh, not a place. And, in hell, the rich man being in torments. Now, what does Revelation chapter 9 tell us about the five months of judgment? And those five months are a figure to represent the entire duration of Judgment Day, however long it happens to be, which uh, it very well may be 1,600 days in duration. The five months are said to be five months of torment. And, and in hell, the rich man is in torments. And so again, we see uh, a relationship between what happened at the beginning of this period of time and throughout the world is said to be 
brought into torment, five months of torment. Well, uh, Father Abraham, um, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. Now that's, that's actually uh, a pretty uh, understandable request. Here is a man who is under the wrath of God. He's, he's in a place of death and torment and Lazarus is a messenger of God. He represents the true believers, the, the lowly, the beggarly of this world, despised during our lifetime. Uh, um, the world had no time for the child of God. Just, just think of, um, those that stand on street corners with true gospel tracks and and all of the disdain and the reviling that God's people have had to put up with, even when people take them, it's it's like they don't even notice you're there. They're walking on. They're much too busy and interested in the important things of the world, according to their understanding and way of thinking. Of course, their understanding is completely turned around. The most important thing in their life just became that gospel track but but anyway according to the the mindset of the world that's a very lowly position to to be a messenger of god handing out literature like that uh, and i remember in tokyo um a little boy and a girl walked past didn't accept the track as i was standing there and they went a few yards and then turned around and came back and the boy took it and then his sister said uh, we felt sorry for you and then they turned and walked away well that's a, a a good example of the world's attitude towards the people of God that's why Lazarus the beggar is a good representation of the child of God who performed the role and function of a messenger of God, carrying forth the despised word into the world. We have no time for you. But now, now um, the rich man is having some thoughts. Well, yes, I want you to send Lazarus. Send him, as it says here. Well, first of all, he says, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. That is, send your messenger with just a little bit of gospel. Just a a scripture verse would do. You don't have to even send a whole track. Just, Just send some verse that gives me a little hope. That, that can deliver me from, uh, from this flame, that can take me out of the torment. Uh, have mercy. That is, save me, Father. Uh, uh, save me from this, uh, horrible place, this horrible condition that I've entered into. It is a request for salvation. And, and God is merciful, yes. And Father Abraham is a type and figure of God. 
He's a God of great mercy, and his mercy endureth forever. But notice what it says here in verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Thou in thy lifetime, that is, you've received your inheritance of this world, You've enjoyed the pleasures of sin for the season that you had it. You've enjoyed life uh, under the sun as I've given you many blessings. And Lazarus had a difficult trying time throughout while he lived in the world. Now he has enjoyed uh, the joy of the Lord. He's entered into the kingdom of heaven and and you are under my wrath. There is um, uh, nothing else that can be done for you. And then he says in verse 26, And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There is a great gulf fixed. There is a, a, a divider, a separation from the rich man and Lazarus. And again, think of Revelation 22. The righteous are righteous. There's the beggar Lazarus. The filthy are filthy. The rich man in hell, in this condition of death that the world has entered into. And a great gulf in between. We... I guess we uh, always desire to to picture things. Well, think of the Grand Canyon. You you cannot bridge this gulf. And and notice that it says between us and you there is this great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. And there, I think God is taking into account the the attitude of the child of God, the mindset of the true believer that has the mercy of God ingrained in him. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I, my desire is that, that others be saved, that others experience your mercy as I have. I'm only a sinner and you've had mercy upon me. And so we would that would is an expression of desire. We want to. We would will to do so if it were our decision to make and, and if we had the ability. But it's not our decision. It's not the elect's choice. It, it's not certainly of our ability to bestow mercy, to grant mercy to give mercy, only God can do that. And so we cannot. We cannot. We cannot cross the gulf. We cannot um, take someone in their sins who is spiritually filthy and bring them into uh, a, a condition of righteousness. The gospel we bring cannot do it, which was the power of God to accomplish that kind of thing in the day of salvation. And, and therefore, we cannot. We cannot. There is no way of doing this. 
it, it just cannot be done. Uh, even though God is merciful and his mercy endureth forever, and yet he has completed his uh, salvation program, and he has therefore bestowed mercy upon everyone who was a vessel of mercy. And, and there is just no more mercy for the child of God to carry to others. And this is why Jeremiah 50 says they are cruel and shall show no mercy. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.